Hello. At CD Media, we are literally the tip of the spear. From Ukraine to the vaccine to Brazil, we've been at the tip of the spear on all these stories early. So if you want to know what's going on in the world early, before the rest of the news catches up, watch CD Media. But you know what? We have to make money. So we do have ads on the sites. But I know people don't like pop-up ads. They don't like ads. It's a problem. I mean, you get them on your phone, etc. If you don't like ads, you can sign up for our no ad subscription, which is a few bucks a month. You get access to all of our sites, not just CD Media, but the Manhattan, the Miami Independent, the Connecticut Sentinel, the Georgia Record, Armed Forces Press, Tsarism overseas in Eastern Europe, and CDM Espanol if you speak Spanish. So all of these sites are available with no ads. So sign up for our no ad subscription. You can find it on the websites. There's a pop-up and also in the top menu. And, and pay us a few bucks a month, support free media, support your children's future, support the fight against the corrupt media narrative. Thank you very much. And now let's get to our guests. Welcome to the third edition of Ukraine SITREP. It's been a while since we put one of these out because it's essentially been a stalemate uh, in Eastern Ukraine. And that remains to this day, but there's been some developments we wanna talk about. And we've got a guest uh, directly from Kiev, uh, that I think you will really enjoy as far as uh, news from on the ground you won't find anywhere else. Thank you for visiting Armed Forces Press and CD Media, and uh, we'll continue giving the best information we can on different hotspots around the globe militarily. What's been going on over the last few weeks uh, is that Russia has launched massive airstrikes against infrastructure targets in the cities uh, and elsewhere. Uh, these are primarily cruise missile attacks because the Russians are not using our air power. So cruise missiles and uh, ballistic missiles, essentially. A lot of these are shot down, but many get through and are, are targeting uh, electrical and, and other infrastructure across the nation. This has caused a lot of hardship for the civilians of Ukraine. You know, a lot of them live in these high-rise buildings, 20, 30, 40 stories, and they're cinder block and with no heat and no electricity and sometimes no water. It's a very miserable existence. So, but the, I, we, as our guests will say, the Ukrainians are innovating and, and getting past a lot of these issues. Essentially, we've had a stalemate. Let me bring up uh, the first map. This is uh, from Inkman, which is a, uh, I would say, pro-Western view of the war. Uh, you can see in the blue the two areas that have been in contest back and forth, Kherson in the south and Kharkiv in the north. The red areas to the right are the Donbass regions and then Crimean Peninsula down in the Black Sea under Russian control. So that is uh, what you're seeing there. You can see the capital of Kiev in the center, up, upper center portion of the, of the map. And then far uh, west is Lviv next to Poland, where a lot of these supplies are coming from NATO. And a lot of the training is taking place along that border of Ukrainian forces by Western militaries. Essentially, what you're seeing here is uh, not World War II tactics, not mechanized, but World War I tactics. And this is trench warfare. It's slow artillery duels. Uh, very bloody, very messy uh, in the winter uh, as the spring comes and the thaws happen, it's going to get even more wet and messy. But uh, this is the Russians and the Ukrainians know how to fight in this kind of weather. And so, um, but it's a stalemate, essentially. Drones have been very effective. The Iranians are uh, supplying a lot of the Shahid drones we've talked about in the past. Um, our guest will discuss those uh, shortly and the tactics that they're using there. And let me bring in a, Ukraine, a map from the pro-Russian site, uh, southfront.com. And you can see uh, the dip while they show Crimea, obviously, is, is Russian proper territory. And then the Donbass region in the red. So essentially, both sides are showing about the same front. And um, again, it's trench warfare. It's, it's slow artillery tactics. And um, I'm going to bring in now a guest I think you will find uh, 
very interesting. We're going to have him on a good bit uh, over time, um, hopefully every couple of weeks or so, and give us updates from inside Ukraine and a guy on the ground. So Dan O'Shea is going to take it from here. He is our editor-in-chief. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time on Ukraine Sit Rep. Hello, everyone. Another Armed Forces Press exclusive. Uh, reaching out to a, a longtime uh, combat veteran and teammate of mine, uh, Ranger Regiment, a Black Hawk Down veteran, uh, six combat zone tours, and currently in Kiev reporting live from um, his latest uh, war zone in the last three decades. Uh, a retired Lieutenant Colonel Jim Lechner, uh, author of the soon-to-be-coming-out novel With My Shield, uh, and that will be another Armed Forces Press exclusive interview here coming in the coming months. But Jim, you're on the ground in Kiev. Um, a lot of activity in the last, you know, 48 hours since New Year's. Can you give us kind of a battle update about some of the drone attacks and the big strike that killed a, a number of Russian, anywhere from 63 to 400 odd Russian conscripts? Can you give us kind of the latest from what's happening on the on the ground in Ukraine? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks, Dan. Great to be with you. And Again, been here in Kyiv now for the last couple months. Um, pretty heavy activity over the last uh, 96 hours. Today was quiet, but the previous 72 hours uh, saw a series of at least three Russian attacks using cruise missiles and drones. The drones started showing up about two months ago, Iranian supplied Shahid Jones. Um, the Ukrainian air defense takes down about 90% of those, but uh, specifically on New Year's Eve, they got at least eight through the defenses. Uh, some of those impacted on the power infrastructure. That's what they're targeting. Uh, last summer, they targeted the petroleum industry, and they, they got it pretty much shut off uh, down to about 10% capacity. And then the Ukrainians worked around it and got it going again. Since about November, they've been targeting the power infrastructure and electrical capacity. And they're slowly wearing that down. Kiev is down to about... Uh, you know, 10 to 12 hours of power a day. They're dealing with that on rolling blackouts. And sometimes people will go a couple of days without power. Um, there's a lot of generators going, but that's what the Russian strategic air campaign is focused on. And again, uh, the 72 hours there around New Year's Eve is about the heaviest they've seen here in, in quite a while. They had about 16 kill, uh, excuse me, 16 injured. And one person was killed on New Year's Eve when one of those rounds came down in a residential area. One of the more upscale hotels took a direct hit and dropped about six floors of that. So it's mm. been a kind of high adventure with the air defense systems firing and then some of the missiles getting through here in Kiev. I, I have a question. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead I'm just going to ask real quick on that drone question. These are Iranian drones. Yeah. And can you explain a little bit of the connection between Putin and, and the, uh, the Iranian regime and that nexus of, quote, evil, axis of evil, if you will? Yeah, I mean, as, as you guys well know, anywhere that there's terrorism and tyranny, you know, you'll soon smell the stink of Iran. And so they've gotten into this. Um, they provide these very cheap uh, kind of large style drones that are coming in and they're coming in low and slow. And the Ukrainian air defense is having a tough time dealing with them because on the one side, you've got these low and slow drones that are following the interstate and they're following the rivers and then popping up at the last second to do a, a kamikaze-type attack on a target. And then you've got the, uh, you know, everything from hypersonic missiles coming in. So the Ukraine, it throws it throws a, an off-speed ball at the Ukrainian mm -hmm. air defense. And sometimes they're having a tough time dealing with those drones. 
and, and the size of these are these like katushka size rockets or are they bigger smaller what's are they a range of range of sizes and from from a drone perspective they're uh you know they're about the size of a scan eagle so maybe about a five to ten foot wingspan and then they're carrying a charge and i don't i don't have the specifics on all the exact dimensions but it's a low and slow you know full-size drone that they're using um coming in they're following the interstates below the radar and then they pop up at the last second and so it's it's kind of interesting because a lot of these attacks are initiated by drones the air defense system doesn't even get set off yet um because they have a the sirens going off almost continually here you know as you know they're tracking these launches of the cruise missiles many of those are being launched by tu-95 bombers out of belarus and those things fly in and we're tracking those tu-95 so the air defense system can get a pretty good early warning on that but these drones are often initiating the attack uh, and popping up before anybody even knows and then the air defense system kicks in to try to catch these these cruise missiles that are coming in so it kind of validates the old uh you know u.s rotary wing tactical you know tactical yeah, absolutely of map of the earth kind of stuff you know absolutely. And then popping up. interesting i have a question the uh we've done a lot of reporting on on the power infrastructure being you know decimated and almost a strategy of the russians to push the population west out of kiev do you see something like that happening well we heard we heard some discussion about that early on like in the november time frame mm -hmm. there was some uh, very very quiet behind the doors uh discussions about evacuating the city we actually met with mayor klitschko and he confirmed there's mm -hmm. there was some plans just in case to evacuate the city if we couldn't sustain it with heat and power but it, it's you know i don't want to sound like like a propagandist but it really is mm -hmm. amazing how the ukrainians are just adapting and overcoming uh, like mm -hmm. i mentioned the power the petroleum earlier this summer and it was down to you could only get like 10 liters of petroleum this summer mm -hmm. i thought the russians were going to choke them out and they they just rebuilt the system and we're trucking it back in and now it's no issue it's expensive but no issue finding gasoline same thing with the power you know they're they're degrading the system but they're repairing it and they've got alternate systems and they're still getting power off the nuclear power plants they got some of the largest in the world here so it's just kind of amazing how they're adapting to it and uh, and working around it hmm. jim you and i talked uh yesterday um about the, the situation in, on the front and about the, the, the weather and about people being free freezing in place basically can you talk a little bit about those conditions on the front lines and where is the heaviest the fighting the heaviest yeah by by far the heaviest fighting is out in the eastern donbass salient um and if if i can let me just i'll just say something about it's really amazing the observers from the u.s the so-called experts and we don't have it's the usual suspects that sit back and just regurgitate cnn headlines and they were talking last fall about the Russians being a headlong retreat and this mm -hmm. huge Ukrainian blitzkrieg just shattered the front. I mean, nothing's further from the truth. And I'm not taking anything away from the Ukrainians. They did a fantastic job, but it was very localized operations. And yeah. what a lot of people don't realize is even in that counterattack, the Ukrainians did not liberate the same amount of territory that the Russians took just over the summer, not through the entire campaign. So while they did a great job, it was far from decisive. And the offensive for the Russians never stopped at the eastern side of the salient or in the south. Um, you know, fortunately, they move at glacier speed, and but they're continuing now to focus on the city of Bakhmud, which is the anchor at the south end of the Donbass salient. They've been given the mandate to capture that city over the last 60 days. They've focused on it, and uh, they've been circled about uh, on, on three sides. They, they tried some frontal assaults from the east. 
Uh, they just smashed their head against the wall. The Ukrainians did a great job holding. But the Russians aren't stupid. And so now they're encircling the city and they've got all the roads cut off but one. And they're using their, their, you know, their normal ground and pound tactics to just mass artillery. And then they just move forward through the rubble. And it's, it's taken a toll. The, the casualties on both sides are heavy. They're heavier on the Russian side. Uh, but the Ukrainians can't afford to lose the number of guys they're losing there. So difficult yeah, fight in the eastern Donbass city around Bakhmut. Russians, Russians have unlimited manpower. Unlimited, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. I haven't been able to confirm this, but I'm getting consistent reports that they're bringing convicts up out of the prisons yes. and putting them into the lead elements. Without a doubt, we know from interviewing captured uh, EPWs that there's some conscripts that have only been in the Army like 30 days, and they're getting put in that first wave. And the Russians, they're not afraid to let guys freeze to death. They're not, not afraid to lose guys. And they're just doing human wave to find the weak spots. And then they hit that with better trained units. It's World War II tactics. All Absolutely. Over the, yeah. I, I, you know, I actually uh, I actually agree with a couple of buddies of mine who say it's World War I tactics. Yeah. Um, so are and the we reason learning? I say that is because tanks have kind of been neutralized to a large degree by javelins. And there is zero use of air power. Wow. So are we learning? Uh, is the is the U.S. military learning how to counter Russian tactical warfare? I, I would like to think at the higher levels there's a good exchange of information. One of the biggest disappointments I have here is there's almost zero U.S. involvement. We mm -hmm. just got the defense attache, a senior colonel, within the last 60 days. He's home on leave. I hope to meet with him again soon. Um, but absolutely no U.S. presence. The whole time I've been here, I saw one contractor at a base um, who was here for a short time with a, with a private you know, organization, but zero U.S. military presence here. And so it kind of goes back to my previous point that the U.S. doesn't even know what, you know, what's going on here. They don't have a real sense um, of what's going on on the ground. And there's zero representation from DOD or anybody else that I've seen. Certainly there's nobody up at the front. Uh, we've run into allies up there that are doing a good job observing, but there's no U.S. people observing. And so I do not think they can get an accurate feel for what's going on by sitting in Poland and reading uh, CNN headlines and reading the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense releases. Yeah. Propaganda. So I have a question on the, the the citizen population. I know a lot of them are in the, you know, Stalinist high-rise buildings and those, the heat goes out on those things. Absolutely. I mean, how do you survive in that kind of 20th floor of a, cinder block building in the dead of winter with no heat, no electricity, you know, no water maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point. The water pressure has been, uh, been reduced significantly. So um, it, it is kind of interesting, you know, that some of the old, like in my apartment, for example, my uh, kitchen plumbing is not working, but my bathroom plumbing is working because I got an old style tank mounted up on the ceiling and that thing's filled up, so it's keeping the pressure for the bathroom. So there's some interesting nuances of the old-style system. Um, but what the Ukrainians are doing is they're kind of communally banding together. They're uh, offices that have generators and plumbing. People are staying at the office uh, for a lot longer or, or sleeping over there. They're, they're finding places where there is power, and they're, they're getting together. So, yeah, but that, you know, that does not mean that there's not people that aren't suffering, and that's certainly happening. Yeah. Interesting. And that's nationwide, Jim, right? Correct? And that, or is that yeah, it, absolutely. It gets a little bit better to the west, but even Lviv on the on the Polish border is, is mm -hmm. still suffering blackouts and, and things like that. What are the current weather conditions on the ground? 
Well, it's, it's fluctuating. We just happen to have some pretty good conditions today, but it's it's been extremely cold, and I haven't been able to make the Celsius uh, conversion yet. But it's been down, you know, below freezing, extremely cold here last week. We were getting uh, an average of about six inches a day of snow in in Kiev for about a week there before the holidays. So it, it's been it's been pretty tough from that perspective. Wow, interesting. Is there any activity in the West, you know, around, uh, you know, Venezia and all that, uh, the, the West of Kiev? Right? You know, not not besides some of these deep strikes by cruise missiles. They are getting hit in that area, uh, mm -hmm. but there's not not a whole lot of military activity. As, as you all know, the Ukrainians were able to, um, the Russians did a strategic withdrawal across the Dnieper River mm -hmm. and gave up the city of Kherson. And so a lot of pressure from the south around Odessa and Mykolaiv has been relieved because of that. But the Russians still have a position to dominate the Dnieper River approaches. They still have land where they can do that. So they didn't really need Kherson. So, you know, I'm not saying it was a good thing that for them that it, they gave it up, but it really was a pretty smart move what they did coming to the south side of the river. But that, again, that's precluded a lot of the military activity uh, between Zaporizhia, Odessa, and then up to Lviv. Dan, thank you. Do you have anything else? No, I mean, I just uh, we we probably want to reach back out and stay stay in in in, in good comms with you because uh, again, shifting listening, I had the media on all day listening to the backdrop, uh, trying to get multitude mm -hmm. of sources, and and it just you keep you get when you listen to solely U.S. sources, it's uh, Russians Russia's losing, uh, Ukraine's winning, and again, it's just where is the truth and it's very very seldom are you getting ground truth like you certainly have with that perspective and and it's 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 invaluable thanks uh, one yeah. more question jim do you think this is going to just end up in a negotiated conflict or in a I, I don't see how it can i mean the, really? the, the russians have proven they don't have the capacity to go a whole lot farther it's taken everything they can do to take bakhmud uh -huh. um, and the ukrainians just don't have the capacity to push you know i keep hearing kind of rumors that they're putting together another offensive but yeah. it took them all summer to build up to the fall and they did a good job but again it was but it was far from decisive um and i just don't see them having the combat power unless something changes dramatically and we start selling them large-scale m1s and f-16s and, and and that and a lot of training but th that's not going to happen soon so, so essentially the best outcome would be a negotiated settlement along the flock as it is here a absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't I, I think the Ukrainians will have some local successes, but I, I think it's a very difficult scenario to imagine them getting all of their provinces back from Russia. They're just significantly outmanned, outgunned, etc. Dan, and if I could springboard off real quick something you said. You were asking about the deep strike in Makariv. Um, yeah, so really interesting situation there. The Russians, only about 13 Ks from the border, put uh, about a battalion's worth of troops in an old school facility, uh, but they also were storing large uh, amounts of ammunition in there. And right. so uh, that was picked up by Ukrainian intelligence, and then they hit it with a HIMARS, up to like four HIMARS rockets. And this, the casualties there, by all accounts, were significant. The Russians are now admitting about 100. The Ukrainian mm -hmm. figures are probably a good bit high, but you know, uh, hundreds of Russian soldiers killed in that strike. Well, there, I just saw the announce. The Russians were admitting to 63 soldiers killed. The Ukrainians were saying it was 400. But there's also the reports that it was Russian conscripts using unencrypted cell phones talking to their family back home in Russia. And that's how they tracked them. I don't know if you're tracking the same, that if people aren't 
how much the drone strikes or the, the artillery is, is, is picking up intelligence from people just using sloppy OPSEC measures. I'm, are you hearing that as no. well as part of what, what targeted them? Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not getting a lot of specifics on that, but the, uh, you know, just the fact that they were able to pinpoint them and then use HIMARS on. Thank you, Jim. Great Appreciate update, Jim. As always, thank you, brother. All right. Happy thank you, fellas. Appreciate it. All right.